Hey, good evening, everybody. I have to tell you, I'm excited about this message because we're going to be looking at a couple of, of Paul's prayers, specifically the two that he prayed for the Ephesian church, and it's recorded in, in his letter to the Ephesians. A few years ago, I was going through, <clears throat> I was doing a study, a personal study at home of all the epistles, you know, the letters in the New Testament. And what I was doing was going through each one chronologically in the order that they were written. So it started off early with, with, with Paul's letters. And it was, it was kind of a cool study. And, you know, I'd, I'd start off by reading the whole letter at once. I'd read it out loud. So I kind of get in my mind, if this was Paul talking or if this was John talking, if this was Peter talking, how would they say this? And one thing I noticed as I started going through Paul's letters was he's got all these prayers and it just popped into my mind one day. I, I had read one of them. I can't remember which, which letter I was reading. And I thought, I'm going to pray that for my daughters and my wife. And, and I plugged their names into the prayer. And I just read it and I prayed that. And I thought, man, that's good. Because these are things I wouldn't think to pray for, right? I mean, you know, we usually pray for situational things, right? We pray for... Oh, let so-and-so get saved, let so-and-so get a job, let, let so-and-so be healed. And we, we pray about situational things, but that's not what Paul was praying for. None of these things were. And there are things that I wouldn't think to pray about. And I was thinking, this is, you know, this is kind of a cool thing. Someone should write a book on this. I wonder if anyone's ever thought of that before. So I Googled praying Paul's prayers, and after about the third page of results, I realized, yeah, few people have thought about this already. So it, it's certainly not a, not a unique thing, but, but it's something that I'm really excited about. And tonight, as I said, we're going to look at Paul's prayers. There are two of them recorded in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start reading with the first one. It's in chapter 1, verse 15. This is what it says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great, <laughs> incomparably great power for us who believe." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, tonight we want to hear um, out, of, out of these prayers, Lord. We want to hear encouragement, Lord. We want to hear ideas of new ways for us to pray, Lord. There was a reason Paul included these in the Scripture. There's a reason that by your inspiration they were included in our Bible. And I pray that we would grab a hold of that reason, that we would learn from them, Lord. And, and God, let them, let them just expand and explode our prayer life as we do so. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you would say you read your Bible enough? You read it enough, you, right? You're good. You read it enough. You don't need to read it anymore. Oh, a bunch of hands went down, didn't they? Okay. How about um, witnessing? How many of you think you witness enough? <laughs> okay. Prayer. How many of us here think we pray enough? We're good, right? No. You know, if we're honest, we all realize. We all realize that we don't pray enough. We all do. We, we could always pray more. So tonight, I'm not here to try to convince you to tell you that you have to pray more. That's not what I'm here to do because you already know that. Instead, what I'd like to do tonight 
is inspire you to not only pray more, but to pray song, uh, pray prayers of more significance and more power. And I think the, the, the best place to start to learn how to pray more significant and powerful prayers is studying Paul's prayers. So that's what we want to do. And we're, we're looking at these two prayers in chapter 1. First, a little background. Paul first visited, visited Ephesus on his first, I'm sorry, his second missionary journey. He was on his way back to Antioch, and he stopped at Ephesus. And he wasn't there for very long, just a short time. And the Jews that were there, he met with Jews the first time, and they wanted him to stay, but he couldn't. He said, listen, if it's God's will, I'm going to come back. And sure enough, on his third missionary journey, he did come back. He spent three weeks or three months, I believe it's three months, um, Yes, three months debating in the synagogue with the Jews. A lot of the Jews became obstinate. They were vocally opposed to his message, opposed to the gospel. So Paul left the synagogue, and he went to a lecture hall. And he stayed and taught in that lecture hall, it says, for two years. He stayed there teaching and preaching and telling the gospel for two years in that lecture hall. Now, during the time he was in Ephesus, there were a lot of supernatural events that took place. A lot of things happened. In fact, there was even, even a riot, kind of a nasty riot that took place. And you can read that in Acts chapter 19. I don't want to get too far off topic, but you can, you can look at that later if you would like to. Paul shared a lot of experiences with these people in over two years. Some were good, some were bad. And by the time he wrote this letter to them, it had been several years since he had actually seen them. But he had heard. He had heard about how they were doing. In fact, he was now imprisoned in Rome. This was Paul's first imprisonment. So he was writing this letter um, from that type of a situation. He had obviously very warm feelings for these people. I mean, the time that he spent there, even though they had some, they had some kind of dicey situations come up, but, but he had made good friends and he felt very close and very tight with the Ephesian church. He had warm feelings towards them. So these two prayers that he records are prayers of intercession, prayers of intercession on behalf of this church. Now, in both of these prayers, Paul reveals what I think are probably the first two best practices that we can get tonight out of the Scripture. One, tell people that you are praying for them. And two, tell people what you are praying for them. See, Paul does both of these things in, in, in these passages of Scripture. You don't have to keep your prayers a secret. You don't. You know, it's encouraging both to know that someone is praying for you, and it's encouraging to know specifically what they are praying be free to let people know. You know, regarding the first prayer here in chapter 1, Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And in, in a few minutes, we're going to get to the second prayer. And in that one, he says, I kneel before the Father. And then he goes on to, to tell about it. Um, you know, this isn't like some kind of badge of honor. He, he, you know, he's not showing off. I think, I think we understand that. But it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to the people in Ephesus. A church whose members are praying for each other, listen, a church whose members are praying for each other is a healthy, powerful church. And I know I appreciate it when people tell me they're praying for me. I, I do. I really, truly appreciate that. And, you know, it's, I find it both humbling and at the same time uplifting, which seems kind of contradictory. I find it both humbling and uplifting when I hear that people are kneeling before God for me. And if you say, like, like Paul did in the scripture we just read, that I give thanks to God for you, wow, that puts the wind in my sails. And I know you'd feel the same way if someone came up to you Sunday morning and said, you know what, I just give thanks to God for you. 
I get on my knees and pray for you, and I thank God. That put a bounce in your step, doesn't it? And, and Paul, was being, Paul was being genuine, you know. It's, it's not flattery. But let's start at the first prayer. This is the one we just read. I'm not going to go back and read it again, but I want to talk about it. One thing that might help us analyze these prayers, and that's what I want to do. I want to kind of break them apart and look at them tonight, is maybe for this first prayer, let's take out some of the descriptive words and phrases. Temporarily, okay, I'm not rewriting the Scripture. Okay, I'm not removing things from the Word of God. I just want us to get a, a picture of what these prayers are saying. And when we do that, this is what we read first. Paul's saying, I pray God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you would know him better. And two, I pray God would help you to understand in your heart the hope to which he has called you and his great power that's available to all believers. That seems a little simpler when we break it down. Now let's, let's kind of take it apart and see what Paul is saying here. Um, first, verse 17a, the first half of it, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, first of all, who is he praying to? The Father. You know, this is a, this is a model that, that Jesus gave us. Pastor Mark talked about this two weeks ago when he talked about this model that we get in the Lord's Prayer. We pray to the Father. And, and in Jesus' example, you know, it's our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He even just doesn't say to our Father, he... he, he he worships him in the, same, in, the, in the same phrase. He worships him. Your name is to be hallowed. And, and, and Paul kind of does the same thing here. He talks about the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Yeah, he's got an opportunity. I'm going to slide some praise in here as I address the Father. Um, but what he's asking for is he says that, that he's praying that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and, under, and revelation. So the first thing we see is that we need to pray for each other that we receive wisdom. And that's wisdom not of human origin, but from the Spirit of God. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. I know there are some of you in this room, and I know Pastor Mark has done this before, that, that maybe you right now or you have in the past read a proverb every day. You know, you read the proverb that lines up with the day of the month. Incidentally, Today is one of those seven times a year that you read chapter 31, right? There's only seven months. Um, and for those of you who do that, or you have done that, and you've gone through the Proverbs, uh, you know, one proverb every day of the month, you understand there's a lot about wisdom written in the Proverbs. A lot about wisdom written there. And as a starting point, we all know what Proverbs 9.10 says, I think. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now what Paul is praying for here in the book of Ephesians goes beyond this scripture. Um, first of all, he's specifically praying for believers. He's praying for people in Ephesus who do fear the Lord already. Um, that, that's the starting point, right? And what he is praying is they would, re they would receive wisdom from the Holy Spirit. He's praying that, that he, they would receive this supernatural, spirit-given wisdom. Not the wisdom that comes from man, right? And, I, you know, I, I don't want to demean that because I think that we all should seek wisdom from men and women to whom God has given wisdom, right? And sometimes we do that by, you know, just seeking people out and talking to them or, or hearing sermons or listening to podcasts or 
or, um, or reading a blog or something like that or reading books. But th- there's a place for that. But what Paul is praying for here for the Ephesians is for this wisdom that only God can give. Only God can give it through his spirit. That's what he's looking for. And not only that, but he prays that they would have revelation. Again, this is from the Spirit. This revelation is the Spirit. He's, he's not saying that I want God to give you some kind of extra scriptural truth, right? You know, we're not talking about a new revelation or doctrine that somehow the Bible missed, right? After, after all these thousands of years. That, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this revelation to understand truth that God has already made known to humans, but we can't fully grasp it without his revelation. There are truths that are just hidden to the carnal mind. And as our minds are renewed in the spirit, God reveals things to us. You know, there's a lot of examples in the Bible where God reveals things to people. And, you know, we look in Matthew 16, and Jesus has asked his disciples, who do you? He's already asked them, who do the people say I am? And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when Peter says this, this is what we read in in Matthew 16, 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. See, it had to be revealed to him. It was truth, but it was supernaturally revealed to him. Paul understood that as well. Paul understood the need for revelation. That's why he is praying that the church in Ephesus get this. See, in 1 Corinthians, he wrote... This is in the second chapter. And by the way, this is a great chapter. I love 1 Corinthians 2. It's just a lot of good things in there. And he says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, yeah, what no ear has heard, What no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So there are things that we need the Spirit of God to reveal to us. And we should pray for each other. We should. should, that That should be part of our prayer for each other, that that would happen, that by the Holy Spirit we would receive wisdom and revelation. But why... Does Paul say he prays this for his friends in Ephesus? The next part of this verse says, so that you may know him or God. You may know God better. You know, when we look at at maybe some of the prayers we just throw up, right? Sometimes they're just all over the place, right? They bounce all over. You know, oh God, strengthen so-and-so. God, give so-and-so peace. Let them make good decisions. Or, or you know, there, there are a couple like, like catch-alls, the really go-to ones, right? Like minister to them. God, minister to them. God, be with them. Now, now listen, I, you know, I, I don't want to make fun of that because I, 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 I don't think it's wrong to pray those kind of prayers sometimes. I mean, sometimes we say a quick prayer, right? Someone will cross our mind. God will put Andy on my thoughts. You know, and I'm in the middle of something and Andy comes to my mind. God, just be with Andy today. I don't know what's going on. Just be with him. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. There, there isn't. Um, and I truly believe God's honor. God honors prayers like that. I do. God honors prayers like that. Um, God isn't, all, isn't up there saying, nope, you didn't do the right formula. 
No, God's not like that, right? But, see, those should not represent the full extent of how we pray for each other. Because now we've got a problem. If that's all our prayers for, are for each other, now we've got a problem. Think about this. Think about what happens if people we pray for, one another, family, friends, know God better. Okay, just let that simmer for a bit. Think about that. Let the possibilities run through your mind what happens. You know, so many things, honestly, so many things take care of themselves when we know God better. And can we, can we pray that? Yeah, yeah, we can. Paul does it. He leaves it as an example for us. We can pray that to not only know about God, okay, that's not, that's not what he's saying. I know about him. He's saying to know him. I've been reading um, Grant since Christmas, about 600 pages into Grant. It's, it's by Ron Chernow. And, and you know what? I've learned a lot of stuff about Ulysses S. Grant, but I don't know him. And I've got 350 pages to go, and I still won't know him. I'll know more about him. But I, See, that's not what he's talking about. He's, he says that you would know him, that you would know God. See, when we do that, we know how to react in different situations because we know God. We know how to talk to people properly and treat them right because we know God. We make better decisions because we know God. We find peace even in a storm because we know God. And, and I'm not saying... That, that we don't pray situational prayers, prayers for specific situations, because you know, we do, and, and I think Scripture's clear on that. We, we do. You know, if someone is sick, you know, have the elders pray for them, anoint them with oil that they may be healed. I mean, we, we, we pray for specific needs. That's true. If someone needs healing, pray for healing, right? If someone loses their job, pray for provision. But when we regularly pray for each other that God would give us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. Listen, things change in people's lives. They do. They do. They change. Now, the second thing that Paul mentions in this prayer, in this first prayer, is I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Some translations say the eyes of your heart may be opened. How many of you remember that Paul Beloche song from like 20 years ago? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, right? That, that's, this is the scripture that that, that song is based on. Um, if the Spirit gives us wisdom and revelations we just discussed, then, when the Spirit does that, then let our hearts or the eyes of our hearts be open to receive that wisdom and revelation. See, Paul's not talking about our intellect. Okay, not talking about our brain, not talking about our intellect. Understand, we do need to engage our minds in the things of God. We do, and I'm not saying we don't. At no point do I ever recall God telling us not to use our brains. We should study. We should pursue knowledge. I mean, that's one of the reasons we, we started Equip, that, that this whole process of, 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 of training people and helping people to grow and become mature believers. 
So I don't want to diminish the importance of studying God's Word and growing in our knowledge of Scripture, but there is a deeper understanding of God that transcends our intellect. Yeah. Paul wants God to open the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts. Not the physical heart that pumps blood through the body, but the inner person. And why does he want this? Why does he want their inner being to be open to this? In order, here's the answer, in order that they would know two things. Two things that can only be truly known in our hearts. or They have to be known in our hearts, not just our brains. The first, the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Hope. Man, we all need hope. And I got to tell you, hope that's only in your brain, but it's not in your heart. You don't see it with the eyes of your heart. Hope that's only in your brain. You know, sometimes that flees, it runs away when you're standing at the deathbed of a loved one. Right? If it's just a concept, if it's just intellectual, it may not be there when you need it. You know, we can try to imagine all the various things we need hope for, but I think predominantly the hope that Paul wants his friends in Ephesus to know is our eternal destiny. Yeah. Or the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What does God have prepared for us? Paul talked about hope, you know, in his letter to the church in Rome. He talked about how our present suffering cannot even compare to the glory that awaits us. Even nature groans. Even nature groans waiting for that day, for that hope to be re- realized. And, and this is what he writes to the Romans in um, chapter 8, verse 23. And not only so, that is, not only does nature groan, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, The hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? See, Paul wants the Ephesians to see and know this hope, the redemption of our bodies with the eyes of their hearts, not just to know it intellectually. And the Ephesians were not unfamiliar with suffering, nor was Paul. Remember, he wrote this letter. He was in prison when he wrote this letter, right? And just before... Just before Paul left Ephesus, after being there for over two years, there was a a huge, nasty riot where two of Paul's companions were dragged into this amphitheater by an angry mob, and they would have been murdered if a city official had not gotten up and said, whoa, stop, and, and, and dispersed the crowd. Paul knows that if the Ephesians know in their inner being, they really know, the eyes of their heart see this, this hope to which they were called, it changes their view of their situations. Back to what Paul said to the the church in Rome. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's our hope. Man, the glorious riches. It's the same with us. We need to see with the eyes of our heart the hope to which God has called us. And I love the extravagant verbiage that Paul uses, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Riches, glorious. We just read earlier in 1 Corinthians, right? No eye has seen, 
what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. That's our glorious inheritance. I pray that you know that, that the eyes of your heart see that, not just your intellect. I pray you get that down in your spirits. And the second thing Paul, Paul says that he wants the Ephesians to know is his, meaning God's, incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants the Ephesians to know this power, and he goes on, the rest of that verse, he goes on that verse, and then the next one he says, that power, listen, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Yeah, this is the power he wants the Ephesians to know. And this is how we should pray for our loved ones, for our church. It's incomparably great. Understand that? There's no comparison. Nothing compares to this power. It raised Christ from the dead. It seated him on his throne in the heavenlies. And, listen, it's available to us who believe. I can know that in my head. Let me tell you, when the eyes of my heart see that, the way I live my life changes. Imagine the boldness, imagine the confidence, imagine the utter lack of fear when this truth becomes more than head knowledge. Man, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him on his throne in the heavenlies is available to you who believe. Yep, yeah, it is. It's probably true we don't possess enough of an appreciation or an understanding of this power. You know, I don't say that as a criticism. I don't, listen, I don't bash the church, okay? I'm just saying it's the truth. You know, there are people that bash the church. The problem with the church these days is they don't, well, you know, I don't know the problem with the church. <laughs> All I know that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, so I better watch what I say. But I say this then not to be critical, but I say that we probably don't have a proper understanding of the power available to us in Christ. And I say it because that's the exact reason why Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that they would get that appreciation, that understanding, right? Because he knew they didn't have it either. And it only comes from revelation by the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to intercede on behalf of each other that the eyes of our hearts would truly be open to know this power. So, right now, I would like to pray this first prayer over you all, and myself included. And I'd like you to stand. I know you've been sitting for a while. 7.30, we've been here for half an hour. Please stand. And I want to pray this prayer over not just you, but all of us. Please, let's bow our heads. I ask you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, God, the glorious Father, I ask you, give all of us here, and Lord, also to all of our church family that can't be here now, give us, Lord, the spirit of wisdom. God, give us revelation. And Lord, do this so that we would know you. Please, God, so that we would know you better. And I also pray that the eyes of our hearts, all of us, God, the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, be open. Let our eyes of our hearts be open in order that we may know the hope, God, this hope you've called us to, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. 
And Lord, let us know your incomparably great power that is for us who believe. God, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, please be seated. That's the first prayer. Think about praying that. Plug in your spouse's name. Pray that prayer for your spouse. Plug in your children's name. Plug in your friend's name. Plug in your parent's name, your brother, your sister. That person you're witnessing to, the person who's backslidden, plug their names into that. And if God answers that prayer, what kind of change are you going to see in their lives? Yeah? Let's go on to the second, second prayer. I don't want to run out of time. I get, I get excited about it. I really get passionate about this. Um, the second prayer for the Ephesians, we find in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's, we're going to read verses 14 through 19. Here's what it says. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How many of you prayed a prayer like that today for somebody? <laughs> Man, Paul knew how to pray. <laughs> I'm telling you. I read his prayers and I think, of, what did I pray today? Boy, it sure didn't sound like that. <laughs> Let's see what we can learn from it. We'll start at the beginning. Out of his glorious riches, in verse 16, do we even understand God's glorious riches? I want you to think about God's glorious riches. We're not talking Donald Trump rich, okay? We're not even talking Oprah Winfrey rich. We're not even talking Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Jeff Bezos rich. Those are the richest guys in the world. You know, we're, we're talking about God's glorious riches that are beyond our comprehensive, uh, comprehension. And Paul doesn't even use the word money when he talks about God's riches. You know, the riches that God has kind of make money seem like just scraps of paper. Yeah? And in the New Jerusalem, do you know what they call gold? Pavement. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, this may as well be asphalt, right? God makes streets out of it. So just try to imagine what God's riches, His glorious, is what Paul says, His glorious riches are like. This is the supply of the Father to whom Paul is praying. And we need to pray with that same understanding, okay? That our Father has those kind of resources available to answer our prayers. As Paul told the church in Philippi, the Philippian church, and again, he wrote to the Philippian church when he was in prison during the same time period. He said, and my God will meet all of your needs. How? According to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. God has no shortage, folks. God doesn't run a little low this month. Not happening. It is out of those glorious riches that Paul tells the Ephesians as we go on that God may strengthen you with power 
through his spirit in your inner being. Now, there are three themes that we see reoccurring here that we saw in the first prayer in chapter 1. First, Paul is praying that they be strengthened with power. Secondly, this power is supernaturally administered through the Spirit of God. And thirdly, this strengthening takes place in their inner being. Okay? Again, Paul's prayer goes deeper than just asking for external things. He wants his friends in Ephesus to be strengthened at a very deep, very deep level in the inner being, not just the outer physical being. Paul talks a lot about prayer in his writings. I mean, if, you, if you've read a lot of Paul's epistles, it, it comes up a lot. He talks a lot about power. And when he does, he's always talking about power that is provided by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, in, in the last letter we have recorded that Paul wrote before he was executed, he, he knew he was dying, right? He knew he was going to be executed. Um, and in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Yeah, that's the power we have. Back to the power that he mentioned in the first prayer. And why is he asking that the Ephesians be strengthened this way? Why is he asking this? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Again, he's talking about our hearts. Again, he's talking about our inner being. Paul seems to be a lot more focused on the deeper internal things of our lives than our external situations. He wants, what he wants for these believers, believers is for Christ truly to take up residence in their hearts. Not that he is simply in our hearts, right? But that our hearts are his dwelling place. Christ is established, established in our hearts. And when Christ dwells in our hearts, in the seat of our character, our inner person, it changes the way we think, act, and feel. If we are to think, feel, and act the way a Christian should, which we need to, we need to have Christ dwelling in our hearts. There's no other way. If you are praying for someone to learn to think, feel, and act like a Christian, you need to pray this prayer for them. Yeah. Anything else, any other approach is going to be inadequate. We need Christ dwelling, established in our hearts. And we know that this happens through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, as an aside, I find that this verse... This prayer is a beautiful display of the Trinity, isn't it? Look at what it says. I pray that he, the Father, may strengthen you with power through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You see the Trinity there. You know, there are parts of Scripture where we see that. When Jesus was baptized, right? We see Jesus, the Son, in the water. We see the dove, the Holy Spirit, descend on him. We hear the Father's voice out of heaven. It's just a beautiful representation that really has nothing to do with the rest of what I was saying. I just think it's neat. Um, finally, the last portion of this prayer, the last portion of this prayer deals with love. I want us to get our hands, or get our minds, get our minds wrapped around this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love is the first thing he says for this next phrase. We need to pray for our families and friends that they be rooted and established 
in love. This is a prerequisite of a, success, of a successful Christian life. It's utterly essential. It is. Now, in Matthew 13, in Jesus' parable of the sower, we see what happens when a person's faith is not rooted and established. In this parable, he tells of a person who goes out to plant seed, and in the process, seeds fall on different types of soil, a path, rocky soil, among thorns, and then on good soil. And regarding the seed that fell on rocky soil, this is what he says. This is in Matthew 13, verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, the Ephesians knew their fair share of trouble and persecution. You know, who knows, maybe even a little more than their fair share. In general, it just wasn't easy being a Christian in Asia, in Asia Minor in the first century. Um, especially in a major city like Ephesus that prided itself as being the center of worship for the Greek goddess Artemis. There's a huge temple to Artemis there. And quite an economy built up around that, people who made statues and craftsmen and those sort of things. Not to mention the implications of living in a city under Roman rule with imperial worship. So it wasn't easy for Christians to live in Ephesus. And it's in these conditions that Paul prays that his friends would be rooted and established, lest they be like that seed that landed on the rocky soil. But how are they to be rooted and established? In love. In love. Paul's writings, you know, I mentioned how Paul writes a lot about power. Well, also in Paul's writings, just like in, in those of John, um, they continually come back to love. If you remember, Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are what? Loving God and loving people. All the law and the prophets hang on those commandments. Not serving God, okay? Not serving man. Not obeying God's commandments. Love. Agape. It means one thing, love. That's what it means. Jesus tells us in John's Gospel that love for the world is actually what compelled the Father to send His Son. Right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That's what motivated the Father to send Jesus, was His love. And Paul basically tells the Corinthians, in, in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, in the 13th chapter, he basically tells them that no matter what I do, if I don't have love, I am nothing. And he says that. And yet, sometimes I get the feeling that we are afraid at times to talk about love. You know, like, let's not give people the wrong impression. You're talking about love? Okay, well, you know, well, well, well don't forget to talk about sin. Don't forget to talk about judgment. Don't, don't, don't forget to talk about repentance. Hey, and don't forget to mention hell. Throw in some fire and brimstone while you're at it. For goodness sake, don't talk too much about love or... People might get the wrong idea about God, think he's just all softy and a hippie or something. Kind of funny, isn't it? Wrong idea. Here's what John said. In 1 John 4, 8, he says, Whoever does not love does not know God, 
because God is love. This is where it all starts. Guys, it starts with love. Pray that those you know and love may be rooted and established in love. And being rooted and established in love, pray that they may have power, yeah, together with all of God's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. That's what he says in the 18th verse. Paul prays that the Ephesians may have the power to comprehend the full extent of the love of Christ. I don't know if, I don't know if we can ever fully understand that, right? I mean, we certainly need power to comprehend it. But I do know this. I do know that the more we grasp the extent of that love, how wide and long and high and deep, the more we appreciate its extravagance. And let me tell you, the love of Christ is extravagant. It is. I think a reason for this is that the love of Christ is, is not like human love. Understanding the extent of Christ's love makes it perfectly clear to us that it is so much grander than what we know and experience as humans. Listen, it's all-encompassing, right? It cannot be shaken. God's, or the love of Christ is limitless. Nothing on earth compares to it. We need to grasp that. We need to grasp that. And part and parcel to grasping the scale and extent of Christ's love is the next part. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul is not praying to God that the Ephesians would just know about the love of Christ, right? To just know how wide and long and deep. That's not what he's praying that they would just know that. He wants them to know that love. Not just know about it, but to know it. A love so amazing, listen to this, that, that it surpasses knowledge. Now, does this seem like a paradox to anybody else here? Uh, he wants them to know something that actually surpasses knowledge. How is that possible? If it surpasses knowledge, how can you know it? Well, you know it in our inner being, not our brains. <laughs> the logic isn't there, right? We don't know it in our brains. We know it, in, and that's what he's praying, that we know it in our inner... He, he prays that we would grasp the love uh, of Christ, knowing about it in our understanding, and then he takes it a step further. We need to truly know it in a way that surpasses or goes above and beyond knowledge. Know it in our inner self. Experience it. Experience it. And when we know, listen, when we truly know this love, it changes how we think and feel and act. It does. It changes it. Jesus said in John 14, 15 verse, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yeah? Now, sometimes we want to reverse this order, don't we? We want to say, well, if you keep my commandments, then you love me. No. No, 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 no. Our works do not produce love for Christ. They do not. Love for Jesus compels us to obey him. That's how it works. 
Love for Christ changes everything about us. How we think, feel, and act. And why does Paul pray this? Why does he say the Ephesians need to, to know this? It's the next verse, the next part of this verse. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There it is. This is Paul's ultimate goal for his friends at Ephesus. To quote the U.S. Army, remember from like 20 years ago, you know, be all that you can be from those commercials? See, I love this phrase, all the fullness of God. Wow. The things that that conjures up. There, you know, there's a bit of a stunning implication here. Paul is implicitly saying that we cannot attain spiritual maturity unless we, we, unless we receive power through the Holy Spirit to both know about and know the love of Christ. Dr. D.A. Carson, writing on this topic, said something that I, I, I had to share with you. We may think we are mature Christians because of our theology, our education, our years of experience, our traditions. But Paul knows better. <laughs> and that's why he prayed this for the people he loved at the church in Ephesus. I referred to this verse earlier, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, or 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. So I want you to imagine praying for your friends and family with the ultimate goal being that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Yeah? Could you have a better goal for your friends in prayer? Think about all the things that you pray for your friends and your family. Could you have a better goal um, for your family than this? Think about all the things you pray for your family. Could you have a better goal for your church, for Calvary Church, the things you pray than this? How about your spouse or your, your parents? Or how do you pray for your children? How about, how about missionaries? How do you pray for our missionaries? Do we have, could we have a bigger goal for missionaries than that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Man. Studying Paul's prayers opens our understanding, I think, to the things we can ask for in prayer. And, and I'm not saying stop praying the way you've been praying. What I'm saying is, let's add to it. There's stuff we can pray for that's going to bring changes to people that we never, we never fathomed before. And I think these are examples of it. So, before we go tonight, and we will be out by 8, um, I'd like for all of us to put this one into practice tonight. We've been doing this almost every night since we've had our prayer series. I'd like for us all to come down, please, around the altar, and we're going to put into practice what we talked about. So please come and join us down, join me down around the front. And what I'm going to do, guys, if you could put on the screen this prayer. What we see on the screen in back of me is this prayer from the third chapter of Ephesians. And there are blanks. Fill in the blanks, right? Um, and this is what I want you to do. You can pray this once. You can pray it 20 times. I don't care. 
prayed for your church, prayed for your spouse, prayed for that person you've been witnessing to, prayed for, you know, your mom or your dad or your kids. And when you've prayed it for whomever you wanted to pray for, please feel free to go. I, I, we're not going to drag it out tonight. But before we do this, I want to pray this again for all of us as I did with the other prayers. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, God, your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power. Please, Lord, through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And God, I pray that we being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints first to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and second to know this love, to know it, God, please, God, to know it in our inner being, this love that surpasses knowledge. And God, we pray this that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.